it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Tuesday, and uh, it's going to be a great day, and it's going to be a big hour. Charlie Kirk at the bottom of the hour has got a brand-new book. He's an impact player. Uh, you know, as he talks about Turning Point, he uh, basically gets the next generation of young conservatives together, and this is uh, Grown Like Wildfire. The College Scam is his new book, How America Universe, American Universities Are Bankrupting and Brainwashing Away the Future of America's Youth. Uh, Charlie Kirk will be here. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West in a few minutes. In about 15 minutes, I should say, he joins us every Tuesday. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Zelensky feels like he is losing slowly, that the Biden administration is basically helping him play for a tie. Unbelievable. Michael Waltz goes and met with Zelensky and has got some grim news, but some news that we could actually change in a good way. Playing for a tie, that's what the White House is doing in Ukraine, costing lives while letting Europe off the hook. And the Russians grind forward, even though they are being humiliated on the battlefield. Number two. You know, this week felt like your PowerPoint from Inconvenient Truth come to life. It's here. Well, Mother Nature has already declared it a global uh, emergency. Emergency? Really? Green energy obsession. The left off its axis trying to save a planet they have zero control over and making America feel the pain with their AC bill and at the pump. Yes, Al Gore's back, and now we all remember why we never missed him. Number one. We are not in a recession now. Has inflation peaked? I think probably. But I don't think we're going to, uh, God willing, I don't think we're going to see a recession. Those indicators do not show that we are in a recession or even a pre-recession. Yeah, uh, there we go. Can anyone here define recession? Seems the Biden administration is trying to find a new formula. Deceit and deception is what they're good at. I have an idea. Let's try reality. What's your reality? I don't want to be an economist. I'm not. Either you, most likely, unless Peter Maritzi is listening, or, I don't know, uh, Steve Ratner. But for the most part, you know recession. You know what it feels like. You get it officially from Shows like this, so you get it from economists that I interview or from people that you might read, pick up the paper or download a, uh, download a story and say, oh, we're in a recession. But you know, uh, when you feel as though your wages are not rising, when you hear about your friends being laid off, when you see that your job is not expanding, when you feel as though your belt is tightening, when your expenses at work are being heavily scrutinized, when vacations and hard personal decisions have you deciding that vacations are not for you this year or not going to be as lavish as you originally thought or last as long, or you try to get a part-time job. I mean, that's what recession means, and it's okay. In a capitalist society, we're going to have ebbs and flows in a macro way. I understand it. What I don't understand is not telling us the truth about it because we all know the truth. We're living it. You're not reporting on something far, far away. It's when we live in. You're taking a, you're taking a bow, Mr. President, because gas dropped 50 cents. 
but it's already closer to $5 and $4. When it's that high already, why don't you have the sense to understand we're not going to be thrilled when it drops? Plus, you got to give Vladimir Putin the credit because you're, you gave him all the discredit when prices went up. Next, when you told us that inflation was be transitory, you'd had 17 Nobel laureates call, you, call the switchboard of the White House. It's transitory. It's transitory. It's transitory. That is wrong. When you told me that Afghanistan is not in danger of being another Saigon, it ended up being worse. Over and over again, we're told a different story, and you make up excuses when you're caught. In not telling the, not so necessarily lying. You're lying when it comes to the border. It's not secure. The other stuff, you're trying to nuance the truth. But when you're a true leader, you tell people what they know, and you tell them how you're going to try to fix it. You don't deny. You don't deny them the knowledge of knowing that you care enough to understand the reality, and that's why this offensive over the weekend was offensive. Cut one. I do want to emphasize what a recession really means is a broad-based contraction in the economy. And even if that number is negative, we are not in a recession now. Has inflation peaked? I think probably. You know, there's so much out of our control. Inflation is a global problem. When you're creating uh, almost 400,000 jobs a month, that is not a recession. But I don't think we're going to, uh, God willing, I don't think we're going to see a recession. This is not an economy that's in recession, but we're in a period of transition. Those indicators do not show uh, that we are are in a recession or even a pre-recession. Uh, Come on, are you kidding? Of course we're not. We're going to grow back-to-back quarters. We're not going to grow. It's going to be a negative growth. If you want to talk about consumer confidence, you want to say it must feel different now because the job numbers are great. They're 3.6% unemployment, roughly 10 million open jobs, 7 million looking for a job. That's a good component. But today we're going to find about consumer confidence, and you can't spin it. It was an all-time high post-pandemic, 128 in June of last year. Now we're at 97.2, the lowest since February 2021. Confidence is dropping slowly. Are you going to go and tell the American people they're more confident than they are? Wednesday, the Federal Reserve meeting on interest rates, 0.75 is the hope, uh, maybe less. Although economists say the more pain we feel with interest rates, the less we spend, the less we do that brings down demand, which will quickly get us uh, the inflation to drop. It's now at a, a gross 9.2%. Speaking of gross, the GDP is coming out on Thursday, not expected to be good. And Friday, the personal consumption expenditure index. So that might be better. Why? Because a lot of people are spending. Because we got a lot of free money early. People were making more money, true. But they probably don't realize in most cases when it comes to energy, you give all that money back and more. And you might be giving it back in rent because that goes up. You might be giving it back in gas because that goes up. You might be giving it back in in air travel because that went up. Vivek Ramaswamy, this guy is already a self-made billionaire, is still working with his Ivy League background at giving other people the understanding of what exactly is happening in this country. He joined Tucker Carlson last night, Cut 10. The best way to control a society is to control its language first. And just like diversity is conformity, inclusion is exclusion, war is peace, now apparently a recession is something other than two consecutive quarters of GDP decline. And it's an insult. Larry Summers and Art Laffer, the likelihood of recession being here or coming— Summers for work for the Obama administration famously and for Clinton, Art Laffer for Reagan. Cut eight. 
I think there's a very high likelihood of recession when we've been in this kind of situation before. Recession has essentially always followed when inflation has been high and unemployment uh, has been low. Two quarters back to back, which is for all practical purposes, the definition of a recession, no matter what the White House wants to say. So there you go. It is. So listen, it's how you experience it. If I tell you in a recession, you say my job's never been better. Business is booming. Uh, my place is always packed. You own a restaurant. Uh, I, people are in a great mood. That's fine. But that's just not the case with the numbers say. And I just find it very odd that an that administration that has this much so-called experience would be choosing to spin things that way. So listen, uh, I do want to talk about uh, what is happening with this whole Green New Deal before we go to break. And I just want to touch on this. So Al Gore weaved him, uh, rolled himself out over the weekend. He thought it was a perfect time. Why? Because the New Green Deal is dead. We know Build Back Better is uh, on life support. We know that Joe Manchin walked away from the latest deal. And the facts about the economy make it almost impossible to put more pain on the American people who already experience high inflation and high gas and oil prices, right? So it was time for Al Gore to come out and say it's a five-alarm fire. Let's go back to making sure the world gets off fossil fuels. No joke. Al Gore, cut 17. Well, Mother Nature has already declared it a global uh, emergency and The EPA can take action to further limit emissions from power plants uh, and from tailpipes. And the Supreme Court decision did not take all their power away. Uh, We could stop allowing oil and gas uh, 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 drilling on public lands. Why? We have to be able to drive that price down, get our national security. Does that mean anything to you when asked that Joe Biden is out there saying drill more? at least in words only, and then begging the Saudis to drill more and refine more, isn't that go against what you've been saying that we should be doing if Democrats really understood the danger of climate change? And he goes, well, that's one short-term, one's long-term. What kind of answer is that? Cut 20. Well, we need to avoid confusing the short-term with the long-term. That's different from uh, investing billions in new fossil fuel infrastructure and new oil and gas drilling that would not do anything to help the current crisis or to help gasoline prices for that matter, uh, but would guarantee increased emissions in the years ahead. You know, the International Energy Agency has said that we should have zero new drilling for oil and gas reserves. We've already got enough to incinerate the planet. Uh, We're seeing this global emergency play out and it's getting worse more quickly than was predicted. That is Al Gore. I'm going to push back on that uh, because he got a free pass all weekend long. He won't get it here. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Charlie Kirk at the bottom of the hour. Next, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Not only will we talk about what's happening in Ukraine. Number two, we're going to be talking about what's happening in Texas. New York Times over the weekend says it's a single digit race. How did that happen? Is Beto O'Rourke really that close? Or are they making it seem that way with Governor Abbott? You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The Fox News Rundown. A contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Zelensky feels like he is losing slowly that the Biden administration is basically helping him play for a tie. And if it settle, these lines settle as they are this winter, then essentially he's cut off from the ocean minus one port. Uh, Putin will hit a pause button. It won't be the end of hostilities. He'll lick his wounds and come at it again. And why does that matter to the American people? If Putin continues to chew up Ukraine, he will not stop. He will go in Eastern Europe. And by letting Ukraine basically neuter the Russian army and giving them what they need, what they've been begging for, we can then truly focus on China, which is where we need to be focused. It seems logical. And Michael Waltz, Green Beret, has got the respect of Zelensky because they know how hard. And he understands what it means, I think, this fight in the Ukraine because it's Russia. And Russia's not stopped now. They're going to gradually swallow back up Eastern Europe. And why are we leaving this for another generation or even for 10 years down the line or administration? Lieutenant Colonel Alan West may or may not feel the same way, but the way we're giving them weapons is certainly making the description by Zelensky accurate. Colonel, welcome back. Well, it's good to be with you, uh, Brian, and I'm heading to uh, Fort Jackson, South Carolina for my son-in-law's graduation from Army basic training. Well, that's fantastic. Your recommendation he joined? Yeah, you know, uh, we had to sit down and talk about it, and he has gone through the Army basic training. He'll come back and finish his last two years of college, and then he's looking forward to being a commissioned officer in the Army. And uh, so it's a great thing. My grandson now has a dad that's a soldier, granddad is a soldier, and two great-granddads that were soldiers. Well, that is, that is awesome. And how bad is the recruiting situation? Well, it is very bad, and uh, we we cannot deny that. I mean, when you have all of the service chiefs out there asking for people to really stress joining the military, and you know, I had a we had a talk with the vice chief of staff of the army recently, uh, who's a friend of mine, and he said that really about seventy five to eighty percent of the people that are joining the military right now come from military families. So, you know, you still have families that are stepping up and supporting, but I think that because of the and the critical race theory, cultural Marxism, all these things, the correct pronouns coming into the military, that's causing a lot of people to scratch their heads as to whether or not they want to join. But it's still an honorable profession, and that's why I'm proud of my son-in-law. Absolutely. So, Colonel, I want to bring you to what Zelensky said. I don't know if you were able to hear what Michael Waltz said. They met with him, and he said, we're not getting the stuff. It's like the U.S. is playing for a tie, and Europe has gone woke. I mean, gone, uh, gone silent. Excuse me. Yeah, I don't understand the drip, drip, drip that we see coming out of the Biden administration. It it kind of does remind me of the Obama administration where we sent uh, MREs and SOCs. Yes, we're sending the lethal type of uh, weaponry, but we're not sending it in the timely manner. And we should have seen this coming and we should have gotten ahead of it. You go back and you look what President Trump did during uh, his administration. There was no desire for an incursion by Vladimir Putin and Russia into the Ukraine. But the most important thing I can understand is why we're not helping the Ukrainians to control 
control their airspace. If they can control their airspace, then everything is taken care of. But uh, because of the fact that you have Russia controlling their airspace, that allows them to have this massive artillery buildup, which is they're just pounding the Ukrainians. See, a couple of things. The HIMARS are being effective. Nobody doubts it. Even the Russians have admitted it. We just got to get them more. And then on Friday, General Keene say he spoke to people in the Pentagon. They're getting ready to send over F-15s, X-16s. And then on Sunday, we have the press secretary, Admiral Kirby, come out and say, well, no, we're just thinking about it. We might get them to him in December. December? The, uh, why bother in December? What's going to be left of both countries by December? Well, the thing is, you got to think about December. The weather comes in. It's not going to be the clear skies that, you know, enables you to have that air superiority, air supremacy. Uh, And when you don't have that, uh, that affects what you can do on the ground. You know, the fact that we have the high Mars there, and I remember testing the high Mars when I was a uh, major back at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. It's an exceptional weapon system, and it does close the gap as far as the artillery standoff. But you got to have the right target acquisition assets to go along with that. And you've got to have the uh, satellite imagery help. But most importantly, again, you've got to have the dominance of the airspace. That's the most critical thing right now for the Ukrainians. Absolutely. So I want you to hear what else Michael Walt said uh, that I think you might find disturbing. Cut 26. I'm very concerned for the taxpayer dollars and for oversight of these billions of dollars of equipment that we're sending. Where's it all going? How's it being used? You know, what's the maintenance? What's the training? You know, what's the utilization of it all? Uh, Is some of it being pilfered out to the black market? We just don't know. We're pushing this stuff across the border in Poland. And we're not talking people on the front lines, but we ought to have folks there out of our embassy with eyes on to understand where all this stuff is going. We don't have a way to audit this to stay on top of that. That is not not that is not a Republican or Democratic issue. That's an American responsibility. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. And the Congress is supposed to be good stewards of the American taxpayer dollars. That's a preeminent responsibility of the House Armed Services Committee, which I sat on, and also Senate Armed Services Committee. And so we don't want to see the same type of debacle that we uh, witnessed in Afghanistan. We poured, you know, millions upon billions of dollars in there. And what did we end up doing? We left a lot of equipment over there for the Taliban to use and to be exploited by the Chinese as well. So we do need to have a paper trail. We do need to have a system of auditing where these, right. uh, this money is going. And once again, I think the most important thing is send them the weapons and the armament for them to be able to do the fight. The American people always say they don't want to send our sons and daughters in the harm's way. You have people in Ukraine willing to do the fight. Let's just give them the capability. And when you talk about a Green Beret, they understand foreign internal defense and those type of missions. Lastly, we've got 20 seconds left. Is it really a single-digit race between Abbott and Beto O'Rourke? Well, that's what everyone's reporting down here, you know, 6 to 7% separation. But I think that in the end, Governor Abbott will prevail. Thank you so much, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, uh, now the American Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director. Thanks, Colonel. Always a pleasure, Brian. All right. Uh, you talk about an impact player, Turning Point founder, Charlie Kirk, next with his brand-new book, From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. You know, this week felt like 
Your PowerPoint from Inconvenient Truth come to life. Some of the headlines, the Colorado River having to do water rations. The monarch butterfly declared an endangered species. We had the ice melt in Greenland. Record high temperatures in the U.K., wildfires in France and Greece. The Rio Grande is running dry in New Mexico. It's here. That was the introduction to Al Gore before he even had to speak. Uh, who is saying that everything's here. But if you read it, if you watch his movie, what you remember of it, most of the stuff that he said has not even come close to fruition. The world should have been on fire by now. And there's always challenges because Earth continues to spin on its axis. Uh, I am just amazed at how the new, and we've seen this, the new Mueller report on CNN and other places seems to be climate change. And they're everywhere you go. If there's a fire or it gets a little bit hot or if someone has to take off their shirt or put it on a tank top, it's proof of climate change. Uh, someone who's a big believer in the New Green Deal joins me now. He is Charlie Kirk. I'm a big advocate of that, right. as and you well know. It's not in your bio, but I it's just know people sponsor. that know you. Yes, that's He's right. the founder of Turning Point. <laughs> Charlie Kirk is here in studio. His book is out, too. It's called The College Scam, How America's Universities Are Bankrupting and Brainwashing Away the Future of America's Youth. Uh, and questions the current value of a college degree, which, by the way, um, I have two kids in college. Okay. Both costing me 70000 a year. Is that it? Yeah. It's, I mean, that's pretty expensive, don't it, you think? Two course. private universities. Oh, big time. Yeah, and look, there's a place for college and higher education in a society. The argument I'm making in the book is I'm indicting the industry as a whole. Right. And, I, I, of course, there's exceptions. You know, I'm getting these strongly worded emails from people like, how dare you? It was great for me. But let's look at the numbers. For example, Brian, 40% of people that enroll in college will drop out. 40%. That number alone should be cause for concern. Is that a new number? No, it's been, it's, it's been that way for about 20 years. That blows me away. You can go to the Department of Education website. When I tell people, they said, really? So that alone should be like, okay, we have too many people enrolling. And when a student enrolls, that means they're, and they don't get anything in return, they're going into debt, Their confidence, there's a blow to their confidence. That's number one. Then the other number that's really interesting is that if they graduate, then 40% of college graduates end up getting a job that does not require a college degree. So the college, the the degree itself is questionable. And then on top of that, Brian, you add another 20% of people that end up getting a job that is not in the same field as their degree. So they got economics and they go into computer science. And so to just kind of pure numbers, if you add all that together – out of the 23 million active college students in America, about 5 million of them will end up graduating, will end up getting a job in the same field that their degree is, and getting a job that requires a college degree. Five out of 23 million. If any other industry, restaurants, travel, mm-hmm. you know, leisure, service, clothes, had that kind of success rate, we would call it a scam. Right. Um, see, Charlie, I did something that I really feel embarrassed about. I, I had a topic off the soundbite. I got caught up in your title. I brought you in a different direction, and I think I've hurt my audience. Okay. Can I ask you just before we continue sure. this on this whole climate change thing? Do you see a shift? Are you amazed? At, I'm, I'm amazed at the symphony I'm seeing from the networks, from CNN, all about global warming. Yes. Bring out Al Gore again <laughs> with a fake picture of the atmosphere behind him. I uh – I grew up watching Al Gore, not voluntarily. I was the I was the Al Gore generation. Yeah, I managed to get stiffer, by the way. Yeah, and I, I could do the whole Al Gore impersonation. I won't do that. I almost did it on Gutfeld last night. Big risk because if you mess it up, yeah. it, you could you could uh, f- kind of really go down in flames. Friendly audience. So yeah, yeah, exactly. But I'll say this though about the whole Al Gore thing. He, his in his profession, he's a full time job is hysteria. 
He's his. If there is no hysteria, there is no climate emergency. There's just one kind of example, though, and it's hard to articulate without the picture. But just the way they used to tell the news 15 years ago with weather, for example, it used to be all green and blue colors. The same temperatures are now hot red and orange. If you just look at the we same, had pink last week. Yeah, the same weather reports, though, meaning the same temperature yeah. numbers. I believe that the climate agenda is very similar to the hysteria we've seen the last couple of years. Tyrants need hysteria. They do not want you to be at ease. Right. They want you to be in a frenzy. How crazy is it? Did you see what happened with these Democratic staffers who got themselves arrested for protesting in Chuck Schumer's office? No, I didn't see that. So actually. think about this. It's the first time they know it. These staffers, Democratic staffers, because they want Chuck Schumer to force Joe Manson to negotiate. I've never seen such like... Uh, uh, on Democrat on Democrat crime. The, the, I mean, how do you get – they're trying to get more left on their own party. It's a fight without you involved. The, and, and, and please continue, by the way. I'll be, I'll be cheering it on. The environmental issue is one that is a non-negotiating issue. It's with religion the, almost. It, it is. And I have said it is political paganism. And I don't mean that judgmentally. I, I mean it factually. I right. mean the, their fervor, their zeal they have, the energy, the enthusiasm – Brian, it's, I have not seen that since I have spent time with missionaries that would go to Kenya right. or India, meaning I will go anywhere. I will do anything. And they truly believe an agenda that if they do not act with such aggressive, decisive, and unilateral action, the entire planet's going to fall apart. All right. And, uh, and my last question, uh, my last point on this is that you have a situation where if you want to bring the free market, wanted to bring electric cars into the free market. If you want to have electric planes and you want to go compete, if you show me how solar panels will save me money and there'll be a place to get rid of them. Right now we have a huge problem. No place to get rid of the solar panels. That's right. Responsibly. So you have nowhere to throw out the batteries. Mm-hmm. And by They're the way, incredibly distra- uh, unbelievable. You can't shoot them into space. And so if you do that and you can save me money, game on. Yes. Free market. Done. But we are not ready now. No. And what they're doing is hurting our country. Yes. And this is why I don't want to debate it. This is yes or no. We are linked to fossil fuels. We do it more responsibly than anybody else. If you tell Ford to get an F-150 Lightning and you make it more affordable, the F-150, and I could save money every month, I'm not anti-electric car, but I plug it into my house, and my house is fueled by a power station that's, that's right. fueled by coal. So we're not idiots. Yeah. And so – look, it's micromanagement at its worst. You're seeing utility rates go up all across the country. This is a major – story that people aren't talking about. With 60% of the country on paycheck to paycheck, you don't think they feel that? Oh, they're feeling – I was just talking to somebody in Texas, $600 last year, $1,300 this month. And so – but there's there's a very common sense prudent agenda here that could be embraced, nuclear power and natural Absolutely. gas. And the environmentalists want nothing to do with it. That goes to show how insane they are. Look, I love the environment. I think we as conservatives should actually be more forceful in how we love the environment, why we love the environment, and how God made it. No one wants to live with polluted water or polluted air. And so natural gas, incredibly clean. It lowers carbon emissions. Nuclear energy outside of Three Mile Island, it's incredibly efficient, incredibly clean. And yet the environmentalists, they have a non-negotiable position where they say stop oil, stop natural gas. And you cannot sustain right. yourself as a first world country that way. All right. Now, back uh, back to your book. Charlie Kirk is here and his book is now out. It's called The College Scam. For you, uh, Charlie, when I first met you, I think you in your early 20s. Mm-hmm. And I and I don't know. I found out right away whether someone told me or you told me while I was waiting to go on stage. Uh, oh, that's Charlie Kirk. Hey, Charlie, nice to see you. And within a few minutes, you told me I never went to college. I go, wait, wait. You started this because you look so young. Mm-hmm. Like, you started this thing right out of school. No, no. I can't wait. come out of high school. 
So that was not a, your initial decision, though, to That's not right. go to college. Yeah, I write about this in the book. Is that Originally, I wanted to go to West Point. Uh, I didn't get in. I then had Baylor as a backup option, and it just didn't feel right to go borrow all that money to go down to Texas, you know, Texas and do that. And so I said, I'm going to take a gap year. And it turned out to be a Ken gap Ken Starr decade. was there, by the way. You yeah, that's right. I actually met with – it's a funny story. I met with Ken Starr while he was there, and we had a good time. I said, hey, I might do this instead. He's like, oh, you go do that. Now he serves on our honorary board. It's kind of hilarious. Wait, wait. He told you don't, don't worry about he, going to college? No, yeah, he, he was – I won't say that. He was very open to the idea. Like you could always come back. This sounds like a good idea. You have a lot of energy. You know, and deep down, he might have been like, this guy's got no shot. Who knows? But, you know, he said the right thing that gave me enough confidence to go do it. Uh, but it's been this amazing Only in America story, Turning Point USA, which started nothing 10 years ago and no ideas, no connection, no idea what I was doing, and now has really blossomed into the premier movement of young conservatives across America. And if somebody is a politician uh, and wants to maybe break in or establish themselves or be successful, whether it's a former president of the United States or an aspiring one, they call you. Yeah, look, we're really touched by that. Uh, we have a constituency, and so we had our political uh, arm, Turning Point Action. We hosted Ron DeSantis, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, uh, Mike Lee, Donald Trump, Don Jr., Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, and many others. I mean all of those are kind of in the mix, right? And so we had a straw poll. The results obviously went super viral. I find it to be really instructive With, and interesting. With uh, Donald Trump winning and the greatest opponent, the most feared. This is Gavin interesting. Newsom. Yeah, Gavin so Newsom. I added that question. So Trafalgar did the polling for us, independent polling firm. But we were able to create the questions of kind of what we wanted to tabulate. And I thought, I think it would be interesting. Who does our audience think is going to be the biggest obstacle to winning back the White House? I thought Michelle Obama was going to win hands away. 30% of our students think Gavin Newsom is the most difficult to defeat going into 2024. And, but if you look at his record, he's the most vulnerable because he's been absolutely awful. Yes. I, and, he's, I, and he's a terrible person who is, is, has, is as deep as, uh, as like a puddle. I will say this, though. Living in the West, I live in Phoenix. There is a strange connection for upper-middle-class suburban women and Gavin Newsom. They like him. I, I, maybe, hey, he's a good-looking guy. He looks the part. I'd cast him if I was doing a movie on a person. Yeah, I, I, or, or a Bond villain. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I don't know. I cast him for definitely something. But being in the West, I could say even center-right women, like, oh, I like him. He has a better tone. I think the reason, Brian, is they don't like Trump's you know, style. They don't like anything about Biden. And they say, oh, well, we could kind of have the movie star lead us back to normal. And I think that's foolish and obviously baseless. But right. I, I don't don't discount Gavin Newsom. He's a worker. Justin Trudeau. He's Justin. He be our Justin Trudeau, who looks oh the part. That, now you really is got absolutely, me frightened. Right. So looking at college. So what I was getting at is, so you're probably 21, 22, and you're running this huge organization. Never went to school. Uh, when did you realize that your decision was not only right for you, it should be right for others? Yeah, and so I don't necessarily say that my path is right for everybody. I, I, th I say it could be and it should be an option, right? And I'm different, obviously. I enjoy working 20 hours a day, kind of like you, Brian. Never sleep and just always doing something. Right. And that's why I'm always texting you. Not a you. big hobby guy. I, I just I have so much respect for your work ethic. I say it to everybody. So Thanks. Brian's a machine, I, and I don't like mornings, and so that's where I really get a lot of, <laughs> I get a lot of, re of respect Thank for you. how hard you work. It's incredible. But look, what I do say in the book is that this should be an option for you. But to be honest, Brian, it wasn't until up uh, recently, a couple years ago, that I really turned the corner because for years I would kind of be sheepish and a little bit scared to admit I didn't go to college. It would almost be like, yeah, because it almost came with this kind of embedded – failure expectation. There'd be certain circles where I'd be more forceful than others, such as when I met you. But then a couple of years ago, I said, man, this college thing is making our generation poorer. 
It's making them with they have less purpose. They have less confidence. I think it's destroying the spiritual health of the nation. And so I decided to start the research. This was three years of research that went into this book uh, because there's so many facts and so many documents you have to go through. And we have 35 pages of footnotes at the end of the book. So the other thing, Charlie, has happened in the pandemic is uh, my daughter was a senior in high school and they basically had no senior year, like everybody listening. Yeah. And then when they went to college, there was all these restrictions. And I'm sure the numbers, I'm very interested to get the numbers from last year because so many went there and go, you know, I got two classes. I got eight hours off. I really can't do anything. They don't want me in restaurants. I'm picking up ice cream, getting it delivered for Uber Eats. And they go, what am I doing here? Yeah. So instead of keeping the momentum from high school graduation, go to the beach, get a job, September, I'm being – all of a sudden, they stopped down, yes. and they looked around and said, what am I doing? And a lot, a lot of my daughter's friends either changed schools or went out of school. They just said yeah. they took a deep breath because the momentum was lost because the whole country was shut down in many cases. Yeah, and I think the, one of the few good things that came out of COVID, which was obviously a tragedy and a terrible thing, is it really did disrupt the way people viewed education. It challenged pre-existing orthodoxies on the K through 12 level, especially we saw it with school boards, but also with college. And so this is amazing, Brian. And I got to—they're—they're they're withholding the final numbers. I, I'm one of the few people in the country that always kind of looks at the Department of Education website and with eager expectation. College enrollment went down last year. They had—we don't know yet for this year. That should be coming out soon, but and it went down slightly. That's—that's that's remarkable. Usually it was just going up every single year automatically. There's at least 40 colleges I know of that are on the brink of bankruptcy. I actually that's very healthy. I don't wish pain on anybody, but I think that if you do have an if you have an industry where businesses never go under and there's no check and balance, then you're not going to have a superior product. And so all that together, I think coming out of COVID, we are seeing a new education renaissance. And, and the thing is, when you do try to supplement private insurance, these private colleges, instead of them saying, OK, we got some government money or the mm-hmm. student loan cap has been raised, they raised their tuition. That's right. Which is sinister. It, it, it is. And not to mention the endowments alongside of it. So in the book, we talk about how the college has basically become a school with a hedge fund attached. And you have these multi-billion dollar tax-free endowments. If you tabulate the top five endowments in the country, Stanford – University of Texas, Austin, Yale, Brown, and um, I think one more, Ivy League school. I could get the, the order mixed. Could be Harvard. It, yeah, it's, Harvard's number one, yeah, with 50, $56 billion. It's about $135 billion in tax-free endowments that are growing, and all of them are raising their tuition year after year. And then Harvard went out of their way until they got backlash to go get PPP money, as if they needed an extra $15 million to make payroll. It's incredible. Uh, Charlie Kirk's sticking around. He's got a brand-new book out. Uh, you got to go pick it up. It's called The College Scam. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Do you want to see Joe Biden run for a second term? Yeah, I, you know. Uh, that's an easy question. That's not going to take long. Do you want to see Joe I, Biden? I don't want to answer that question because we have not. That's not. Yeah, I don't want to answer that question. Okay. Um, I mean, he's the president. And he has the right to to run for a second term. Absolutely. That's, but right but I, don't wanna, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want. I'd rather you not do that. Okay. Answer you like- <laughs> <laughs> who, who was that? Cory Bush. Oh, okay. Cory yeah. Bush, uh, the woman that will say defund the police, and every Democrat just passes out on the spot because they know it's death to their party. Uh, Charlie <laughs> Kirk here, Turning Point USA founder, author of a brand new book you got to pick up, especially if you have a kid about to go to college or you're thinking about going, going or going back. Uh, it's called The College Scam, How America's Universities Are Bankrupting and Brainwashing Away the Future of America's Youth. 
uh, questions the current value of yes. a college degree, as does a guy you, you really like. You're going to want in there tonight, Tucker Carlson. Yes, Tucker endorsed the book on the, the front cover. He said, college is a scam and read this book and you'll know it too. And, and look, outside of a college like Hillsdale College, the other part outside of the financial aspect of it is the wokeism and the bad ideas. Every bad idea, Brian, that we make fun of, defund the police, as we just said, climate extremism, men can become pregnant. All of it originates from the university. The same way that the Chinese coronavirus came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, we said, oh, where did it come from? Is the same way that all of these idea pathogens originated in the university and they spread like viruses across our society. You know, it's interesting. I'm, even It's going to be hard even for Eric to do. But when Josh Hawley questioned the Berkeley professor. Wasn't that beautiful? And, and the fact is, I go, we just saw that right in front of us because yes. the Berkeley professor actually thought she scored points. And Josh Hawley could not believe that she was saying what yes. she said, said, can a man get pregnant? Yes. And just and, and to see it, and she said, I am offended. That's the story of the last five years because everyone's offended about everything, about the most ridiculous thing. But the thing is people are losing their careers because She of it. was so smug, too, the way she handled it. And I said as soon as that back and forth with Josh Hawley happened, I turned to my team. I said, this is the best Turning Point USA college scam commercial I've ever seen. She's an expert witness at a Senate, Senate testimony. First, just think about this. The Democrats thought she was going to help their cause. <laughs> Right, right, right. Like they brought her in voluntarily. It's not like some sort of random. And they person. still think she helped. The yes, cause. you read the articles. They're like she got Josh Hawley, and I thought Hawley was perfect the yeah. way he handled it. And then she brings up. She brings up. She says, "Well, do you think men can become pregnant?" And Josh says, uh, "No, I do not." Well, you're transphobic. Ah, she's a professor at University of California, Berkeley. Don't go to Berkeley. That's right. All right. The website's collegescam.com if people want to check it out. And, and you mean they could buy the book right there? That's right, collegescam.com. And here's the best part. You're going to be on Saturday night at 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock with me on One Nation. I will bring that clip with me. I, l- that would be perfect. Let's that, do it. And I'll bring one other clip. Okay. And you just bring that same blazer. Deal. <laughs> Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian so Kilmeade. Here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard at, uh, from 48th and 6th, 15th floor, heard around the country, around the world, especially in the Ukraine. We're going to be joined to a simulcast with one of the best economic minds, great personalities in Fox business. Uh, Barney and Company, with so much going on right now that affects this country and the world, supply chain on down, uh, he's a perfect person to talk to. And then a guy you've heard from before, but and you definitely know the topic, Gregory Wrightstone. He's a geologist, executive director of the CO2 Coalition, and author of this, Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. Uh, of course, Al Gore rolled himself out into the limelight again. The $100 million man made a ton of money off greenhouse gas and everything else. Oh, was spewing it all over the weekend. It's time to bring some facts to his diatribe. And let's now go to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Zelensky feels like he is losing slowly, that the Biden administration is basically helping him play for a tie. No kidding. Michael Walls playing for a tie. That's what the White House is doing to the Ukraine and costing lives. Little by little, giving them the arms they need to sustain but not win. It's letting Europe off the hook because they're not fulfilling any of their promises. And Russia is grinding forward, even though they've been humiliated on the battlefield. Number two. You know, this week felt like 
your PowerPoint from Inconvenient Truth come to life. It's here. Well, Mother Nature has already declared it a global uh, e- emergency. Really? Can anyone... Uh, green energy obsession. The left off its axis trying to save a planet they have zero control over and making America feel the pain with their AC bill and at the pump. Yes, Al Gore's back, and now we all remember why we didn't miss him. Number one. We are not in a recession now. Has inflation peaked? I think probably. But I don't think we're going to, uh, God willing, I don't think we're going to see a recession. Those indicators do not show that we are in a recession or even a pre-recession. Really? Can anyone here define recession? Suddenly we can't? It seems the Biden administration is trying a new formula. Or should I say the old one? Deceit and deception. I have an idea. Let's try reality. And what is your reality? Ben Dominich is right here. Ben, I cannot believe we're debating what a recession is. Rather than what's going on and how does it feel, uh, don't believe your eyes or, or the numbers. Brian, this is this this is the most wonderful thing that I have ever seen in uh, the, the political response to economic troubles. Let's just redefine our way out of it. It's it's such a genius move. I mean, it's it's right out of Seinfeld. You know, it's not a lie if you believe it. Right. Uh, and that's the sort of thing that uh, you know this White House seems to be doing now when it comes to their approach to this economy. They're basically saying to people, uh, you know, everything that you see happening around you, it's all an illusion. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Uh, and this is the sort of situation that I think you know you have when a, when a White House gets desperate. Uh, this is the kind of playbook that they turn to. One that doesn't actually. Ignore knowledge uh, or you know, empathize or have any kind of connection to the pain that people are feeling when it comes to their cost of energy, uh, when they uh, see the inflation that's happened all around them, uh, when they see you know the packaging getting smaller and the goods getting uh, fewer yeah. and far between. Uh, and they end up having to make you know hard choices for their families uh, and, and their households. And this White House's response is basically, yeah, that's not happening. And to the degree that it is, uh, you know, it's just inflated in your mind by, uh, by the media and by you know, people who are you know just giving you the wrong impression of things. Actually, everything's going just great, and I just don't think that that's going to work as a political strategy. Uh, and Ben, of course, you got his uh, he's editor live at the Spectator. Uh, he's also uh, most of all he's got the Ben Dominic uh, podcast. Ben, so they're trying to figure out why all of a sudden were we all agree in agreement up until now that two consecutive quarters of negative growth leads to recession. They said it goes back to maybe LBJ. Uh, they wanted to prove his advisors yeah. wanted to prove that after a bad run of economic news, the U.S. wasn't in a recession. So we've always accepted that. Remember Bush 41. The, re- the thing was debatable, Ben. You'd come on here and debate what the reasons were behind it. Now people are saying we're not in it. Bush 41, yeah. the last one to lose a second term because of recession. And, and he never denied it was there. He just denied the, what the causes were. And he knew we were about to come yeah. out of it, sadly. And Bill Clinton was the benefit, beneficiary of it. But I want you to hear a couple of people debate on what the recession is. And it's not a debate with two people that usually disagree. Art Laffer and Larry Summers. Cut eight. I think there's a very high likelihood of recession when we've been in this kind of situation before. Recession has essentially always followed when inflation has been high and unemployment uh, has been low. Two quarters back to back, which is, for all practical purposes, the definition of a recession, no matter what the White House wants to say. I mean, come on. What's going on here? Yeah. What's going on is that 
uh, you know, you can't uh, you can't uh, have this lie play within the people of the community of economists who actually know the way that these things work. And look, the, the White House can can try to spin this as much as they want to, but the fact is that they inherited an economy that was actually going going in a very positive direction. Uh, and you know, coming out of a pandemic, uh, lots of people going back out, traveling again, wanting to spend money, and it's only through their own approach to policy that we've gotten to this point. They wanted to just spend, uh, spend, and spend. Uh, and the fact is that at the end of the day, they spent so much money so fast that they flooded our economy in a way that uh, was really irresponsible, led directly to this inflation. Uh, and then on the energy policy side of things, uh, they took the dramatically opposite approach of the previous administration in a way that uh, people felt pain immediately. Uh, they can talk as much as they want about this being due to the uh, great invasion of Ukraine, but it simply isn't. If you look at the charts, uh, you know the, the fact is that uh, energy prices and, and costs were going up well before uh, Putin decided to invade. Uh, and this is something that, unfortunately, this White House is so wedded to the green agenda, as you mentioned, with Al Gore emerging from under his uh, man-bear pig cave uh, to come out and, and uh, scare people again. Uh, this is a situation where they're so wedded to the uh, doctrine of a climate agenda that is designed to, frankly, make energy more expensive in the short term. It leads to uh, worse emissions because it makes all these coal-fired plants go back online. Uh, it hampers us when it comes to natural gas, uh, and it makes us beholden, of course, as we've seen, uh, to uh, the Middle East and countries around the world uh, that in a way that we really shouldn't be in order for our national security policy uh, to be what we would like it to be. So Al Gore comes out yesterday. He says a climate emergency. When when asked, he says, "Well, you know, the president of the United States has been begging Saudi Arabia to pump more. Been yelling at the oil and gas industry to refine more. So, what do you mean it's an emergency?" He goes, "Well, that's short term, long term." Then he said this in an effort to pass his climate agenda. This man, whose dad was in the Senate, who he made his name in the Senate, I thought was a traditionalist. Cut nineteen. Public sentiment is changing, but our democracy is broken. And in order to solve the climate crisis, we're going to have to pay attention to the democracy crisis. The same reason that uh, it's Im seemingly impossible for the Congress to pass legislation banning these uh, weapons of war is the same reason that we can't pass climate legislation. We have a minority government. We have the filibuster still, which ought to be eliminated. Really eliminate everything, change everything, democracy broken. So what? Al Gore could get richer? In defense of democracy, Democrats are now going to get rid of the filibuster, uh, pack the Supreme Court, uh, and and completely uh, transform the way that our elections are done. Yeah, that's a great, great argument. Uh, congratulations. You're saving democracy by wrecking it. Uh, this is the sort of thing that, uh, you know, we've heard uh, time and again from, from Al Gore. He's willing to take any steps, uh, any steps at all to do, uh, to advance his agenda. He's never willing to reconsider any of the steps that he's recommended. And look, Look, he is out of step with the actual science and with 
serious people on this topic because he's not about you know uh, ramping up nuclear. He's not about uh, trying to move toward cleaner energy sources uh, in ways that you know uh, frankly involve a lot of steps from government that he doesn't really approve of. The fact is that we saw you know under the Trump administration we saw the emissions uh, get better in a lot of ways in part because of the the uh, natural gas boom and everything else that was going on uh, with that. Uh, and yet the left doesn't want to celebrate that sort of thing. Uh, instead, you know, they are invested in this uh, to a religious degree. Uh, and, and frankly, Brian, I'm just sick of it because the, at the end of the day, the people who suffer the most are people in the developing world who are getting denied air conditioning and the basic uh, benefits that you and I and every other American enjoys. Right. Uh, Boog, and we do have air conditioning. It's going to be a lot more expensive. And if you live in paycheck to paycheck, you'll feel every dime. And your life's uh, directly affected. And when someone gets on the uh, gets upon the microphone and says economy's doing good, we're not in a recession, it's almost as if say, they become an adversary uh, instead yeah. of an advocate for you. I want to bring you to I want to bring you to politics if I can even further. Congresswoman Cory Bush, Miss Defund the Police over in Missouri, she said this about President Biden's future in her mind, and it's what she didn't say is key. Cut thirty two. Do you want to see Joe Biden run for a second term? Yeah, I, you know. Uh, that's an easy question. That's not going to take long. Do you want to see Joe I, Biden? I don't want to answer that question because we have not. That's not. Yeah, I don't want to answer that question. Okay. Um, I mean, he's the president and he has the right to to run for a second term. Absolutely. That's, but right but I don't want to. I don't. I don't want. I'd rather you not do that. Okay. Yeah, like- <laughs> She's too much of a rush to say yes. It's- uh, uh, Brian, I have to admit something. I had not heard that cut. I had read the, the quote, but I had not heard that cut. That hesitancy in her voice is amazing. Oh, my gosh. You can just hear what she's, what she's thinking. You can you know sort of hear it uh, churning over in her brain is, I don't think Joe Biden could run for anything. I don't think he'd go for a jog. You know? And that's the sort of thing that uh, is unfortunately true when it comes to uh, the age that he has reached. Uh, you know, look, you know, you never you don't want to you don't want to judge a guy for the, the crime of getting old. But he got old. He got old fast. Uh, and the, the fact is that uh, being president ages you. Uh, it does in, in you know, very clear respects. Uh, and I think that, unfortunately, he is really at a point where he cannot fulfill the duties of his office in a very basic way. We're not talking about uh, you know, ideological disagreement here. We're not talking about you know, whether you uh, support his policies or oppose to them. You just can't have confidence in this man uh, to be able to do his job. And, um, and for the Democratic Party, they have to face a reality right. – Right. where he's not popular, he's not able to function, Kamala's not pop- popular, she's barely able to function, and I think that the other people that they're going to have to turn to uh, are going to have their own defects too. Uh, look, at the end of the day, he probably will uh, choose to run again. He spent his whole life trying to get into this position. He's not going to give it up. He's going to try to white-knuckle it, just like all of these older politicians do. Uh, but it may become so evident that he is incapable of fulfilling the job uh, that at some point, uh, Barack Obama and some of the other leaders of the Democratic coalition are going to have to weigh in on whether he really ought to run again and whether a second term is even something he's possible of fulfilling. I know, that's uh, true. And now what they're trying to do is build up Kamala. She's stuck is the name of the editorial today, I think, the New York Times. And they talk about how she just gets such hard jobs. Space, you can distinguish <laughs> yourself in space. Space Force, yeah. you, have the, you have the Chinese starting their own, uh, their own uh, space station. We have the conflict with Russia. If you affirm and direct, you got, you got the clipboard. 
hey, if you want to fix the border, it's not easy, but, man, you can do it. You get that jean shirt on. You get a camouflage shirt. You go fly into these other countries. You threaten them with tariffs. You get to know them. You start walking the streets, seeing the Honduran poverty, the Guatemalans. You show compassion there. Where's Kamala? She's at the border. Where's she at today? She's back at the border. You have when election integrity to Democrats. She could have been everywhere talking in Wisconsin, in Arizona, in uh, Georgia. But she just doesn't do anything, and she takes weekends off. Yeah. No, she really could have done all those things, Brian. She could have gone to all these places, and she could have made her presence known. She could have built herself up in a way uh, as being you know, the natural go-to uh, when Joe steps away. Uh, but instead, she's going on all these different you know, TV shows and, and speaking on stage uh, with the, these word salads that just make you feel uncomfortable. It's like she has a nervous tick or something uh, that is forcing her to say these things in ways that are repeated over and over again. It's about the passage of time. Time, Brian, the passage of time and the importance of the way that time passes. No, it, it just, it's infuriating to see this. And we know that America is better than this, that we deserve politicians who are better than this. Uh, and I think that Americans, even those who may support some of this agenda, uh, are starting to wake up to the idea that these people just are not cut out for this job. And in a moment when we are facing so many challenges at home and abroad, we need to have people who are capable of standing up uh, and being and delivering a message, knowing what it is and having clear goals. I mean, you want to be Dean Smith's assistant in those later years because he's letting him do everything. You want to be Bobby Knight's assistant. He's yeah. letting him do everything. You want to be the offensive coordinator for Bill Belichick. You get more and more autonomy the four you go. This could be Kamala Harris. It doesn't matter who did the offense do well, even if the team lost. You people look around and look for that diamond in the rough. But instead, Kamala unplugged. Let's listen. Do you plan to visit the border? Uh, um, not today. <laughs> You're going to have to um, Xerox or, or, or photocopy your ID to send it in to prove you are who you are. Well, there are a whole lot of people, especially people who live in rural communities, who don't. There's no Kinko's. There's no Office Max. With us in government, we campaign with the plan. Uppercase T, uppercase P, the plan. We've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. What do you mm. think your biggest failure has been at this point? <laughs> to not get out of D.C. more. <laughs> oh, my God. I, what uh, do I say to that? Just, it's, it's just so uncomfortable. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, you've, got, you've, it's, got old, you've got old Uncle Joe... You know, uh, meandering and telling the same story, you know, twice at the uh, or three times at the dinner table. And you've got Kamala over there cackling and pretending like everything's just okay. And it's uh, it's infuriating, I think, to the American people. And until the Democrats discover an alternative to this approach to governance, uh, they are headed for a major tidal wave in November that is going to sweep so many of them out of office. It's going to lead to a lot of new blood uh, in Washington, D.C. And then they're going to have to deal with everything that comes from that all right uh man i get you fired up today pretty early you really owe me uh, uh, <laughs> thanks so much uh, get the ben dominich podcast thanks ben great to be with you as always all right just before we go just this news now uh russia has made it official they will leave the international space station at the end of 2024 and start construction on its own station good riddance brian kilmeade show <laughs> it's it, brian kilmeade
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Just a quick announcement. Uh, and uh, I, I want to try to, you know, I have a passion for history and I've written five books, history books now working on a sixth. So I have a chance to talk about it on stage. And we just got four dates with the pandemic. It was so hard to get together on what everything is and isn't. But we're all set now. I'm going to go uh, August 27th. It's going to be Saturday. It's going to be in Newark, New Jersey, a beautiful theater. Uh, it's going to be there. I'm at the, uh, uh, let me see, that's the that's Albany. Okay, I'll be at the uh, November, August 27th, New Jersey Performing Arts Center. Just go to briankillme.com. And the egg is almost sold out, thanks to WDGJ. Have a great affiliate up there. Uh, that's September 8th. Two day, later dates, one in Mississippi. I've not been there. Brandon, Mississippi. I cannot wait. City Hall Live. That'll be November 12th. The next day, almost like I'm on the road, like a band at the Cox Convention Center, huge theater in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's always fun. KRMG uh, listeners, go get your tickets now and get it out of the way. Uh, taking America's history back, a thousand people at a time, and a chance to meet you all face-to-face in an unscripted session. Much like radio. When we come back, what's wrong with Al Gore's inconvenient facts? Gregory Wrightstone. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. You know, this week felt like your PowerPoint from Inconvenient Truth come to life. Some of the headlines, the Colorado River having to do water rations. The monarch butterfly declared an endangered species. We had the ice melt in Greenland, record high temperatures in the U.K., wildfires in France and Greece. The Rio Grande is running dry in New Mexico. It's here. So there you go. Chuck Todd outlining how lucky we are to have Al Gore and how lucky we are that the earth is still around and he was 100% right. Is that, in fact, the, the facts? Gregory Wrightstone's been on before, geological executive, geologist and executive director of CO2 Coalition, author of Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know. Greg, welcome back. Has, was it good for you to see Al Gore again? <laughs> Not at all. What he had to say linking people like me, he called me a denier, and, our, and the people like me who don't deny climate change at all. Uh, in fact, we we recognize that, that the globe and the ecosystems are changing because of climate change. But we see by almost every metric, Brian, we look at, Earth's ecosystems are thriving and prospering because of modest warming and increased CO2. We should celebrate that. Vegetation's increasing from the poles to the equator, every ecological niche. And when what the commentator there just stated, I think he listed four or five or six things that were just wrong. Uh, if you look at the Colorado River, yeah, it's in drought now. It's the southwest. It's an arid, dry area that goes through these. And in fact, uh, I just looked at Lee's Ferry, the river levels, uh, just upstream of Lake Mead, and it's it's low, but it's been le- the same levels in terms of river flow, oh, four or five times dating back to 1960. And probably the 30s were much, much lower than today. So, these people are lying to you and your listeners, uh, and again, we see we see an earth that's thriving and prospering, and we should again we should celebrate that. But we have summer right now. They keep saying record heat, record heat, uh, record fire, the uh, uh, record fires. Uh, what do you say to that? That people watch the especially over in California. 
Yeah, we just looked at the Dallas temperatures. I, I, I just posted a commentary I wrote. I said it's the title of it was "It's Hot, It's Late July, It's Not Abnormal." And if you look, if you put what's going on now in context, I look at Dallas uh, days of 100 degree Fahrenheit heat. Uh, it's it's hotter than a normal summer, but there have been many, 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 many other summers that had uh, four and five times the number of 100 degree degree Fahrenheit days. Uh, so we need to uh, chill out. Like I say, it's hot. It's late July. It's supposed to be warm in summer. Uh, and, and, and in fact, most of the temperature records across North America. Uh, here in the United States, we're set in the 1930s. Some 85% of the high temperature records uh, were set in the 1920s and 30s. And in fact, the number of record lows or record high lows uh, have increased. So we're getting uh, not as cold in the winter. Uh, and that's a good thing, Brian. I'll tell you why. We see that 15 to 20 times as many people die due to cold as due to heat. A uh, recent Nature study was just in, in the journal Nature was released last week. That's actually they admitted that global warming saves lives because we're seeing higher low temperatures in the winter time due to global warming. So I want you to hear what what else. But by the way, what do you say about Greenland melting? Well, Greenland cycles up and down. It has been in retreat, and of course, we're in a we're in a warming trend, Brian. That, but that warming trend started more than 300 years ago, long before the first Model T rolled off the assembly line. So we had 250 years of warming that had to be entirely naturally driven. We're being told now it's man's releases of, of what they're calling the demon molecule, CO2, carbon dioxide, is leading to this unusual and unprecedented and dangerous warming. Uh, we just don't see that. We, in fact, well, I love to look back through human history, and I know you're a huge history uh, yep. fan of, of history, but you, your history is more, oh, the last 150, 200 years, whereas my history goes back thousands of years. And if we look at, if we look at human history and climate and temperature history, we see the strong relationship between the rise and fall of temperature and the rise and fall of civilizations and humanity. And the previous warming periods, dating back to the first great civilizations, uh, all the warming periods we see were hugely beneficial. Well, the first you, one was right. Go ahead. Sorry. No, the, no, the first the first great warming period, the first great civilizations, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Hittites. The first great Chinese civilizations rose up in a thing called time called the Minoan Warm Period. It was the Bronze Age, and it was much, much warmer than today. We know they were growing a crop called, called millet in Scandinavia, which could only be grown in subtropical areas. So we can take these historical records and say, well, of course, it had to be a lot warmer. Uh, and again, these great civilizations rose up, and then it started getting cold. And all of these great civilizations collapsed. It was called the Late Bronze Age Collapse. And they all collapsed during this cold period. And we see that repeated time and again. Do you have a problem with CO2 levels, period? Well, they're not high enough. We we see the huge benefits of CO2. We're at, a, we're at 420. I'm not going to give you a num- bunch of numbers here, but we're at 420 parts per million right now. The average throughout Earth, Earth's history is 2,600 parts per million, six and a half times what we are today. 
And the plants that evolved, that we rely on for sustenance, evolved at those higher CO2 levels. And they crave, that's why people add CO2 to greenhouses. Uh, if you grow marijuana, you see these, these guys buying huge amounts of CO2 canisters because plants thrive on it. Uh, we're seeing crop growth records, Brian, broken year after year. Uh, and they're being broken in cold countries and warm countries. India is breaking records. And it's it's a combination of modest warming, because with the warming, we get length and growing seasons. Of course, you can have more plantings, more, more harvests. Uh, and that's turbocharged by the CO2 fertilization effect of more CO2 fueling plant growth. Right. You remember back to middle school, you know, photosynthesis, you need water, sunlight, and carbon dioxide for plant growth. So I want you to hear Al Gore went on to get more specific. Cut 20. Well, we need to avoid confusing the short term with the long term. That's different from investing billions in new fossil fuel infrastructure and new oil and gas drilling that would not do anything to help the current crisis or to help gasoline prices for that matter, uh, but would guarantee increased emissions in the years ahead. You know, the International Energy Agency has said that we should have zero new drilling for oil and gas reserves. We've already got enough to incinerate the planet. Uh, We're seeing this global emergency play out, and it's getting worse more quickly than was predicted. So I guess you want to take that on. Well, yeah. If you look at the, if you look at the temperature rise that we've seen, we're at about we're, we're increasing temperature. It's going in fits and starts, but about two tenths of a degree uh, per decade. Uh, and and so, you know, in two hundred years, by the end of the century, another hundred years, we may increase a little. But again, again, looking back through history, additional heat has always. Uh, provided uh, bountiful food and good conditions for humanity. Uh, but we, we've seen actually very, very little temperature rise over the last 10 or 12 years. It really, really, uh, and what's what's interesting too, Brian, we just started adding lots of CO2 to the atmosphere in the, what, the mid-20th century. It was in that post-World War II economic boom. And what's funny, if you look, that was just as we started adding CO2 to the atmosphere. We went into a 30-year temperature decline. Uh, you're not old enough to remember, but when I was in school uh, in the late 70s, there was talk of, of the next ice age because we had been declining in temperature for 30 years just as we started adding CO2. So, uh, and so, so it just it just flies in the face of this uh, notion that CO2 is the, the control knob of the temperature of the atmosphere. So, Greg, why are you banned from LinkedIn? <laughs> oh, that was – it's kind of funny. Uh, they just started banning – I'm a scientist, so I was p- publishing uh, scientific information. And they started taking stuff down right and left. Everything I posted, false and misleading. My very – you're going to find this funny. The, my very last post, I said, my post was, I think I'm about to be banned and, banned and deplatformed from LinkedIn. They took it down called it false and misleading, and then banned and deplatformed me. And, and this time it was permanent. Uh, they said permanent, and there's no way for me to appeal it. Right. Uh, and you're a geologist, and these, uh, these knuckleheads at these social media, they decide that your point of view, based on fact, the challenges would many Democrats consider settled science, which is the wrong, those two words don't belong together, uh, 
It's almost an honor at this point. Uh, Gregory Wrightstone, Al Gore's back, and you're willing to take him on. Inconvenient Facts, name of your book. Thanks so much, Greg. Thank you, Brian. All right, we're going to talk about the economy next with um, Varney & Company. You'll get a chance to see what I look like, finally. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney & Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I think I'll take my coat off, uh, maybe to even take my name tag off. We're about to go on television. and So get on board right now, because at the end of this, I'll be able to squeeze in a couple of calls if it's like my other hits. And uh, in case you don't know, a couple of things going on today in Washington, D.C., the American First Policy Institute hosts its first ever American First Agenda Summit. I know Newt Gingrich will be speaking there and a guy named President Donald Trump will be speaking there. And that is his agenda. So it makes perfect sense. Also, former Vice President Mike Pence already spoke, gave remarks to Young America's Foundation, the 44th National Convention of Student Conferences. A little Brian battle Kilmeade, there. who joins us now. All right, Brian. Former President Trump returns to D.C. today for the first time since leaving office. And Joe Biden, that would be President Biden, is already picking a fight with him ahead of the visit. It looks like there's going to be a head-to-head fight in D.C. What do you say? A couple of reasons. Why does President Biden want to fight President Trump when he's got inflation, he's got the Ukraine war, the President Zelensky coming out and saying the president's playing for a tie, we're not getting weapons quick enough? Why is he uh, looking at all the challenges with China? Should Nancy Pelosi go or not to Taiwan? Why is he picking a fight with Trump? Why? Because it's easy. It's distraction. And he wants to tell his party, I'm the guy that beat him last time. I can beat him again. To see him squint his way through another speech yesterday was painful. (laughs) And then to see him go ahead in a very stilted way, pretend to be tough. I think his prompter is just slightly above camera, so as if I was staring up here. And now he wants to take on Trump. He wants to show the Corey Bushes of the world. He wants to show the Gavin Newsoms of the world. Back off. It's my gig. When it's 79 years old, he can barely do it. But for Trump, it makes total sense. This is his agenda. What is President Trump's greatest strength? The stuff he did and the policies he implemented, the certainty in which he uh, put them into use. And I think ultimately the people around him at the end were the people that understood his agenda. So this makes total sense because uh, at the very least, if President Trump is or isn't on the ballot, if the Republicans are smart, his issues will be because that agenda works for the country. Do you think that President, former President Trump going to D.C., first time since he left office, he's going to be there today, will he use today and the speech today as an opportunity to declare for the presidency in 2024 and make that declaration today? You think he does it? No, because he's, he's too smart for that, and here's what I mean by that. He wants something dramatic. Coming down the escalator is going to live in infamy. You know, a major setting with 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 people in Alabama is the place he'll announce. And even if it's September, which is three months too early, it does not work to the party's advantage to do it. I don't know anybody who thinks he should. I don't think late July, middle of the afternoon makes sense in Washington, D.C. It's just not his speed. Um, I, I want to talk to you about Taiwan. I know we've been seeing this, uh, pictures of the air raid warnings that they've been giving in many cities in, in Taiwan. This is all about Speaker Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. When that visit was announced, the Chinese respond with you know, the threats to Taiwan. Do you think the Speaker should be going to Taiwan? I don't know what prompted this, but I 100% support her going. And now she cannot not go. 
because the right. weakness that she will display by backing off, I don't care about her, the party. She represents the country, third most powerful person in the country. She has to go. If she backs off, you know what that's saying to South Korea? You know what that's saying to Japan? You know what that's saying to Australia? You know what that's saying to India? We can't compete. We were the o- we're the only hope this world has. Economically, militarily, we're superior in every way. Start acting like it. We want to go to Taiwan? We're going to Taiwan. The Speaker Gingrich was on with us uh, yesterday, which is on Fox and Friends. He said, yeah, I went there in the late 90s. I even said, Mr. Speaker, they're a lot more belligerent now. He goes, so what? What are they going to do? We're going to Taiwan. We have to also get them the defensive weapons needed to defend themselves against China. And I think China, in many ways, is looking at what's happening with Russia and seeing that we thought that red menace... And as much as they are grinding forward and making some progress, they have been humiliated on the battlefield. They are, yeah. they are a relic. They were a rusting old power, and we're seeing it. And I think on some level, China hasn't had a, a conflict since Vietnam when they tried to teach Vietnam a lesson because they were being a belligerent about something else, and it didn't go well. So what makes them think these war games that they've been practicing for the last 50 years lead to effectiveness yeah. on the battlefield? Do they want to... That they want to be maybe brought down to earth. Got it. Brian, I'm out of time. Good stuff. See you again next week. Great Thanks to see you. Brian. Thanks, Stuart. Kill me. All right. All right. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I, I, I'm so glad that Stuart brought me to that. So the speaker makes an announcement a couple of weeks ago, officially, unofficially, she's going to go. And then Joe Biden's asked after his terrible speech at that Massachusetts coal plant, that she said, what about Nancy Pelosi going? She says, you know, my Defense Department doesn't think it's a good thing. Really? The Pentagon? The Defense Department? Best weapons in the world? We put billions into it every single day? They don't think we should go? Why? What is wrong with visiting one of our allies in the region? Oh, we don't think it's a good idea. When, when is it a good idea? And the fact that they protest makes it impossible for us to back off. My fear is she's going to say now's not the time to go. Weak, 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 weak. On top of the fact that we're slowly getting the high Mars, slowly getting the wheat uh, uh, out of the Black Sea, we are slowly deciding if F-15s and F-16s are going to be in. All these things make us look anemic on the world stage. I don't want to be liked. I'd rather be respected and, dare I say, feared. Feared not because we want to take your land, a, fear, a, fierce, a fierce way in which you want to defend our allies and our interests. You back off now on top of the way you left Afghanistan almost a year ago, on top of I think there's some positive things he's done with Ukraine. Not getting the weapons ahead of time, terrible. Not understanding the real scope of the invasion of Russia, awful. Not being able to stop Russia from doing it because of retribution makes the perception look uh, beyond reproach. But since that time, getting weapons in, backing them up, understanding our projections were wrong about the invasion and how long Russia would take to take out Zelensky. But now, only 40% of the money that we gave you, Mr. President, have gotten to Ukraine, and there's no audit in place to understand where it's going, who's spending it, and how that's money being used. Even President Zelensky said he didn't know. Thanks for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com and find out where I'll be. August 27th, Newark, New Jersey. WABC listeners, meet me there. You really don't know what you're talking about right now. 
From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 Senator James Langford, uh, it's going to be our privilege to have him on from Oklahoma, Homeland Security Secretary of Energy and Natural Resources, uh, Finance Committees, and we got some debate on what a recession is, and Steve Mosher at the bottom of the hour. Now, he not only is a China expert, he's done the impossible. He has written a column that narrowed down the five major mistakes that Dr. Fauci made. I'm shocked any... Deep thinker was able to narrow it down to just five. I'm going to talk to him about that. And it matters so much because Fauci is not going away, nor is the virus. Um, So, and we'll take some calls in between. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. Zelensky feels like he is losing slowly. That the Biden administration is basically helping him play for a tie. And Matt, uh, that is... Uh, that is a situation they can't stand. Michael Walsh was just there. Talked to Zelensky 101. White House is going doing Ukraine. It's costing lives because we're taking time getting them the equipment they need to be successful, giving them enough to let them hang on. The Russians are terrible. Their forces have been exposed, but they're grinding forward because they don't care about human life, including their own. Number two. You know, this week felt like your PowerPoint from Inconvenient Truth come to life. It's here. Well, Mother Nature has already declared it a global uh, e- emergency. Really? Uh, that's the unmistakable tones of Al Gore. He's back. Green energy obsession. The left off its axis trying to save the planet. They have zero effect over. We'll talk about it. Number one. We are not in a recession now. Has inflation peaked? I think probably. But I don't think we're going to, uh, God willing, I don't think we're going to see a recession. Those indicators do not show that we are in a recession or even a pre-recession. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, There you go. Can anyone here define recession? It seems the Biden administration is trying a new formula, deceit and deception. I have an idea. Let's try reality. What is your economic reality? Forget about, well, the GDP's negative growth. What does that mean? I just want to know why I seem to have less money at the end of the week. What does that mean? I'm trying to figure out why my flights have become so expensive, why my stay at that all-inclusive resort is now maybe out of my range. So that's the economy the average American thinks about. And the President of the United States, who prides himself as a blue-collar guy from Scranton, who wants to get some breathing room at the dinner table, so that's why it's always good to have a raise or a little bit of a uh, a tax cut. Instead, he sits there and tells everybody, I saved you 50% per gallon on gas. That's great if it's $2 and now $1.50, but it's just under $5 now. I wish the president would understand that that's not a reason to take a bow. So here he is saying yesterday, remote, because he's still trying to get that negative test on his COVID test, uh, saying remote that I don't really think we're going to have a recession. Jared Bernstein, a member of the Council of Economic Advisors, told reporters last week the data on payroll employment, the unemployment rate, and consumer spending says we're very much inconsistent with recessionary cycles. Okay? That's very much like Janet Yellen. Says two negative quarters of economic growth does not equal recession in her book. Really? Because why are they saying this? Because today the Consumer Confidence Index is out. 
Tomorrow, the Federal Reserve meeting takes place on interest rates. Thursday, the GDP comes out. And then Friday, personal consumption expenditure. Are we spending the money that we got because we are somewhat flush with cash? Uh, So what does that mean? Here is a look at what the Biden administration has said, denying that we're in a recession. Cut one. I do want to emphasize what a recession really means is a broad-based contraction yeah. in the economy. And even if that number is negative, we are not in a recession now. Has inflation peaked? I think probably. You know, there's so much out of our control. Inflation is a global problem. When you're creating uh, almost 400,000 jobs a month, that is not a recession. But I don't think we're going to, uh, God willing, I don't think we're going to see a recession. This is not an economy that's in recession, but we're in a period of transition. Those indicators do not show uh, that we are are in a recession or even a pre-recession. Uh, All right. Walmart cut their profits outlook as it lowers prices to move goods. It's kind of interesting. Walmart said a double-digit food inflation is higher than it was at the end of last quarter, noting that it's affecting consumer uh, consumers' ability to spend on general merchandising categories. This is the real-world stuff because most people I know shop at Walmart, Kmart, uh, Target. Half America's elderly can't afford essential expenses due to rising inflation and higher costs of living. Okay? That's what we're hearing. They have insufficient incomes to pay for essential expenses, according to the University of Massachusetts. That, to me is consistent with people who say, you know, I don't like the way we feel economically. Now, why did that happen? We didn't feel it, but we we should have. When the president put, you know, we put a whole lot of money, we printed a whole lot of money to tell us everybody to go home during the pandemic, and we had all these stimulus funds. And then we kept doing it. And we got $800 billion before Donald Trump left office. I think it was December. And then Joe Biden, using the momentum he had from his election, decided to use it on a rescue fund, $1.9 trillion. That's what Larry Summers told us, led to all the spending that we did not need, that made us too flush with cash. Sooner or later, there was calls on that cash. Here's what Casey Hunt said of CNN. As the so-called experts in the administration told us, no recession. She was with MSNBC, now on CNN, still felt as though she had to say what we all know. Cut nine. Inflation affects every American directly. Uh, The Biden administration is trying to point out the the definition of a recession is nuanced. But I got to tell you, I I struggle with this. I get that why they want to do it from a political perspective, but like you can't fake this. Hmm. Larry Summers, Art Laffer, kind of agreeing. Cut eight. I think there's a very high likelihood of recession when we've been in this kind of situation before recession has essentially always followed when inflation has been high and unemployment uh, has been low. Two quarters back to back, which is, for all practical purposes, the definition of a recession, no matter what the White House wants to say. So Larry Summers has been the voice of reason, and he did indicate, I think last week, that he said the president reached out to him. So you should reach out to him because he's been critical. But he also, this is what scares me about Larry Summers. I don't know if he gets intimidated or this is where the rubber hits the road. Obviously, he's a professor at Harvard for years. Obviously, he's got to be so much smarter than everyone we've ever met two times over. But he said the Build Back Better plan would not add to inflation. I, I just don't understand that line of thought. $1.9 trillion rescue plan, which was your all agenda-driven, would not be the same as Build Back Better, which was up to $4 trillion, whittled down to 1.4, 
And then finally, Joe Manchin said, my goodness, 9% unemployment, 9% inflation, we can't do this. So Phil Flynn from Bach Business was on just about what the real economy looks like to him. Uh, here he is, cut 15. This is an administration that since the beginning just spends their time making excuses for their failures, whether it's mispredicting inflation, whether it's rising gasoline prices. Of course, when gasoline prices come down from all-time highs, you know, they want to go out and put out a press release. Look at how, you know, wonderful are we. It's absolutely crazy. Right. I agree. Uh, We're going to take a time out. Come back. I want to talk about the Ukraine. I want to talk about what's happening there. Now, listen, I know a lot of you have tuned out the war. You shouldn't. The reason why we get into it, as much as I like Ukraine, it's more to neutralize Russia. With Vladimir Putin at the helm, this is Stalin reincarnate, just shorter and angrier. And now if they were able to whittle away 20 percent of Ukraine's land without any blowback, goodbye, Georgia, goodbye, Moldova, soon uh, Poland. Next thing you know, they're going to start infiltrating. Uh, different governments saying, hey, how would you like to taste a little Ukraine's uh, carnage? If you just put my person in place and who do what I would do, I'm not going to bomb you. Because he doesn't care about his own soldiers. He lost between fifteen and 20,000. He doesn't seem to care. If you protest that war in Russia, you go to jail. They've lost 300,000 of their biggest thinkers. But they will use any money revenue that they get from dollars and gas, oil and gas, and put it into their military. If we don't stop them here, that's why I think it's important. From you'll hear from Mike Waltz, who will, who's going to let us know what exactly happened over there. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You know, there were a couple of key points from uh, President Zelensky. One was continued frustration with the Europeans. Uh, They've promised a lot, uh, but they're delivering very little. And even what they promised uh, that they're not delivering, it's a fraction of what the United States is. Aside from Britain, uh, Germany especially, they're delivering right now less than Estonia. Uh, And Zelensky's fear is as we head into winter, as they become even more dependent on Russian oil and gas, that they're going to backslide even further. Michael Waltz went over to to see Zelensky to see for himself how bad and what the status of the war is in Ukraine. And he's really concerned. He's concerned we don't know where all the money is. He's concerned there's no infrastructure to check on where it's going to make sure the weapons aren't getting in the wrong hands. Obviously, Ukraine had problems with corruption before. They've already fired two or three key officials for spying. Want to make sure that no one's tipping off with how this weaponry is coming in. It's costing us money. A lot of it is stuff from our stocks. We're not exactly charging them. Not only that, we're depleting ourselves. So as we give you the latest on the war, uh, it looks like Russian forces conducting limited ground attacks, not making much progress. They still haven't given up on Kharkiv, the Donbass region. They're fortifying because they expect some counterattacks in Kyrgyzstan. They say this could be another Fallujah, but it looks as though Ukrainians are determined to take it back. It was the first major city to fall. So to find out what's happening over there, we understand the reasons for it. I think we understand the reason to neutralize uh, Russia. But here's some of the... Some of the controversy. Congressman Walt says, high Mars are effective. Give them more. We don't give them enough. F-16s are needed. Don't think about it. Actually execute it. Why are we taking so long to do the things we're eventually going to do anyway? Evidently, that's something the Biden administration is frustrating everyone on. 
They sit there and dwell, 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 instead of doing the Harry Truman execute. Cut 25. Zelensky feels like he is losing slowly, that the Biden administration is basically helping him play for a tie. And if it settle, these lines settle as they are this winter, then essentially he's cut off from the ocean minus one port. Uh, Putin will hit a pause button. It won't be the end of hostilities. He'll lick his wounds and come at it again. And why does that matter to the American people? If Putin continues to chew up Ukraine, he will not stop. He will go in Eastern Europe. And by letting Ukraine basically neuter the Russian army and giving them what they need, what they've been begging for, we can then truly focus on China, which is where we need to be focused. Right. That would be great. And if the Europeans exercised, evidently they've cut their oil flow, excuse me, their natural gas flow through Nord Stream 1 to 20 percent of capacity. They say, the Russians, that they're rejiggering it. They got turbine issues. Listen. Russia doesn't even understand there is a tomorrow. Their tomorrow is they're going to lose European Union forever as customers. And they don't mind alienating them now. That's how desperate they are. They're going to lose the revenue in order to starve them from natural gas, which they're going to use in the winter. Show some resourcefulness, EU. Go out and get some natural gas elsewhere. And tell President Biden, you need to give it to us. Or better yet, sell it to us. So here is why there are no talks. I've got this a lot. Why don't they sit down and talk? Why would they sit down and talk now? Zelensky knows the reality of what's left to Ukraine cannot stand. Cut 28. Zelensky was clear that he cannot sit down with them where the lines are today, Uh, that he has to have access to the Black Sea for his economy to run. Essentially, he will be a neutered state, either dependent on humanitarian aid from Europe or eventually dependent on uh, Russia. He's got to reestablish at least the 2014 lines before he can sit down and negotiate. He was crystal clear on that, and I think he's right. And Sergey Lavrov, their foreign minister, is over in Africa trying to tell Africa, you're starving, but it's really because of the West. It's not us in the East. We would love to give you all of Ukrainians grain. No one's buying that, I hope, even though they do have some... I guess, relationships with the government dating back to the Soviet Union days. But Russia says they are still, uh, they are out to oust Zelensky. They want to kill him. They think he's the problem. They would like to install their own people in there, their own guys in there. And that's what's got to be stopped. Soon there's going to be Moldova's going to go. Then there's going to be Georgia's going to go. Then they're going to start rattling the cage. Of, and who knows, maybe even travel Sweden, uh, challenge Sweden and Finland. It'd be the craziest thing they've ever done. But they've done crazy things before. Mr. President, execute, put the F-16s in there, F-15s in there. Make sure the Odessa is not taken. Put the missile defense in that key port city that allows Ukraine not to be locked in from the Black Sea and locked out of the Black Sea. Make sure that gets done. Do not hesitate to do it. Meanwhile, um, the president of the United States, the former president of the United States is speaking uh, right now at his America First conference, a group that he founded, a philosophy that he formulated. He, this is him talking, the president of the United States, talking at Turning Point in Tampa. Cut 31. Across the country, we need young people like you to get involved, speak up, join campaigns, run for office, and help us reclaim America. We have to reclaim America. The issues we have discussed today are just beginning. There is so much to be done if we are going to save our country. Wow. I, I haven't very rarely do I hear the president talk about other people. That's the type of thing that was selling the midterms. You don't have to declare Mr. President right now. So you have President Trump, despite this, I know, listen, 
The January 6th is not good for him. And, and way shake. 20 million people watching one side of the story. 17 million watching the next time. Then people writing it up after. But if you think that President Biden is benefiting, you're crazy. He is trying to make it uh, Trump-Biden. He loved that matchup, which he barely had to take part in. He just said in his basement because of the pandemic. So if you want to hear a diss... How bad was it that Gavin Newsom went to the White House while the president was out? Terrible while he was overseas with his jacket off, draped over his shoulder, walking in the front door saying, no, what do you mean I'm running for president? How about this? Congresswoman Cory Bush, an embarrassment to Missouri for certain, should never be in Congress, has all these conspiracy theories, and her goal was to defund the police. Still, no joke. Cut 32. Do you want to see Joe Biden run for a second term? Yeah, I, you know. Uh, that's an easy question. That's not going to take long. Do you want to see Joe I, Biden I don't run? want to answer that question because we have not. That's not. Yeah, I don't want to answer that question. Okay. Um, I mean, he's the president. And he has the right to to run for a second term. Absolutely. That's but right but I, don't wanna, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want. I'd rather you not do that. Like- oh, my goodness. I'm too much of in a rush to say yes or no. You know what it's like to be in that much of a rush. I'm so exhausted. I got to go to bed. I can't say yes and I can't say no. Oh, you want an answer to that? I'm sorry. I have to be at a meeting in 25 minutes. I can't answer yes or no. In 25 minutes, she had a meeting. Nut. Listen, when we come back, I'm going to be joined by Steve Mosher. We're going to break down what uh, I'm going to bring up China, too. But he also broke down the five mistakes that Anthony Fauci made on Sunday. And I want to bring this forward. Number one, Anthony Fauci still out there making these mistakes. He's still indicating we should be wearing masks in school and we should be wearing masks indoors in high in high transmission areas. Forget it. You know they don't work. I'm not wearing an N95. I'm not a surgeon. And you've got to stop with the boosters. The boosters aren't effective against this variant. We do not know the long-term effects of it. You've got to stop just assigning people to do things when the best example is you with four shots and the president with four shots. Both of you end up flat on your back. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Go to briankilmeade.com. Find out how to get tickets to my show in Newark, New Jersey, and Albany, New York. Uh, it is taking America's story back 1,000 people at a time. Be part of the 1,000. Not a joke. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Your reaction to Rand Paul and others saying they're going to investigate you if they take power. Well, there's there's no reason to do that. But if they want to go ahead, my records are an open book. They are talking about things that are really bizarre, John, like crimes against democracy by shutting down the government. All I have ever done and go back and look at everything I've ever done was to recommend common sense, good CDC recommended public health policies that have saved millions of lives. That is Anthony Fauci has to be a little unnerved by the fact that he's uh, coming up on 80 and he's about to lose a lot of support among Democrats. Uh, Steve Mosher is president of the Population Research Institute, best-selling author. His latest book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics, is, uh, is available as of today. This column caught my attention on Sunday. Five mistakes Dr. Anthony Fauci made on COVID that spelled disaster. Steve, welcome back. Oh, it's good to be back with you, Brian. And uh, thanks for having me on on this day when 
the politically incorrect guide to pandemics is finally published. Uh, there's a big chapter on Anthony, Anthony Fauci, as you might imagine, in the book. <laughs> I, I imagine, yeah, because we seem to be in a parallel universe. He's walks on water on every other channel. And uh, we're the only ones even asking him real questions. And he gets offended by it. And people act as if we can't see how he's on every side of every issue. Yeah, I mean, look, he's a study in confusion. Uh, he expressed wildly conflicting opinions about how lethal the coronavirus was, about how contagious it was, about whether or not you had natural immunity, about whether or not you should mask. He was saying one thing in private, another thing in public. Uh, it's just, you know, and now he says he's keeping after denying that the Wuhan Institute of Virology had anything to do with the coronavirus at all. Uh, now he's keeping an open mind on the on the Chinese lab leak theory. So, you know, the evidence is overwhelming. It came from the lab. The evidence is overwhelming that this virologist, this guy in the white coat, who's actually never put a stethoscope on the chest of a living, breathing human being, got everything wrong in terms of public health. He may know a lot about viruses, Brian, but he knows nothing about uh, epidemiology, about the spread of disease. He fell for a fake model. Remember the Imperial College model, which which predicted that millions and millions of Americans were going to die. Yes. Uh, that turned out to be, you know, algorithmic garbage. And and so, I mean, mistake after mistake after mistake uh, in masking, social distancing, closing down the schools. You know, closing down the schools really gets to me because I've got a dozen grandchildren. And they suffered for a year, a year and a half doing distance learning, which, you know, is probably learning at about half the speed that you would in a classroom. And then we had the example of Sweden that never shut down its schools, that never socially distanced, that never masked. And guess what? Uh, the kids didn't die from coronavirus. They didn't even spread it to the teacher or their parents. They just got the sniffles and life went on and they continued learning. Our kids didn't. And that's because of Anthony Fauci. Right. So uh, the closing the schools is one of the top five. Also the six feet. Oh yeah, six feet apart. That dated back to 1918. It was not based on any science. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. In 1918, we didn't even we hadn't even seen a virus. We didn't know what the Spanish flu was, really, because we hadn't invented the electron microscope. And they just said six feet because that's, you know, if you stand uh, uh, six feet apart from someone, you can barely touch fingers. Uh, it's just nonsense. You know, in, in Norway, the distance was three feet. Why three feet? They didn't know. Some places it was 10 feet. Anyway, uh, highly infectious respiratory airborne respiratory flu. Uh, can travel anywhere right. it wants through ducks in apartment buildings. And you can be 100 feet away, but if the duck goes from your apartment to somebody else's apartment who has the coronavirus, guess what? Uh, you're probably going to get it. So just nonsense, more nonsense. How about the fact that it's asymptomatic spread? How about we didn't even know this is the first virus we know goes human-to-human contact that he claims came from natural, uh, a natural events, some type of bad bit of platypus or something? Well, bat, 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 pangolin, pangolin was what we heard for a while. Uh, then we heard uh, bats. We heard a lot about bats. And, of course, the, the coronavirus originally was a bat coronavirus. Why? Because uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, through EcoHealth Alliance and Peter Daszak, was paying the Wuhan Institute of Virology to collect hundreds and hundreds of bat coronaviruses, which would probably never never infect human beings uh, because they're bat coronaviruses and also because they're in a cave somewhere in bats, not in humans. We had very little contact with them. They brought them into a lab in the middle of a city of 12 million people. And then they began using gain of function research, taught Chinese scientists through Anthony Fauci funded labs. 
And, uh, of course, we know the rest of the story. They were trying to develop a vaccine against the coronavirus that they had enhanced in the lab, and it leaked out during vaccine trials and then from there was spread deliberately around the world. So people say, did it leak out of the lab or was it deliberately spread? And the answer is both. It, it leaked out of the lab, I believe, during vaccine trials when they were trying to develop an effective vaccine against this enhanced and lethal coronavirus. And then they deliberately spread it around the world once they had an epidemic on their hands. So the rest of us would suffer with China. Unbelievable. Who are in zero lockdown philosophy, which is uh, destroying their economy, but they don't seem to care. They don't have the same election laws we have. I'm getting the sense. But there's a few things going on. I mean, we're still trying to recover from this. The other thing is that Governor DeSantis got right as a non-scientist. The first thing he did is he tried to vaccine, vaccinate first and protect first the seniors in our society. We treated everybody the same. Isn't that another Fauci mistake? Oh, absolutely. Protect the vulnerable, you know, uh, and, and, and when you protect the vulnerable, you don't put infected people in nursing homes with people who aren't infected and kill large numbers of people the way they did in New York and New Jersey and, and a few other states. So failing to protect the vulnerable. And, you know, you had really, really sensible people uh, involved in this from the get go. You had Scott Atlas, uh, who is a hero of this story. Uh, you had other uh, public health experts, some of whom lost their jobs for speaking out against Fauci. Uh, the, the level of persecution of people right. who are actually telling the truth was just incredible. And, and those people should all get their jobs back with, with uh, generous back pay as far as I'm concerned. But uh, yeah, if we had simply protected the vulnerable and the immune compromised and let the rest of us get on with our lives, uh, we wouldn't have gone through two years of uh, lockdown pandemic hell as Steve, we did. Steve Mosher, our guest, his book's out today, The Politically Correct Guide to Pandemics. I want you to hear Anthony Fauci talk about restrictions. We know now, two and a half years later, that anywhere from 50 to 60 percent of the transmission occur from someone without symptoms, either someone who never will get symptoms or someone who is in the pre-symptomatic stage. Had we known that then, the insidious nature of spread in the community would have been much more of an alarm and there would have been much, much more stringent uh, restrictions in the sense of very, very heavy encouraging people to wear masks, physical distancing or what have you. Really? Oh, you know, and and listen to Fauci two and a half years ago. Uh, He was talking about asymptomatic transmission then. Of course, we were misled for a while by the Chinese Communist Party, which said uh, there was no human-to-human transmission. And Dr. Tedros Cabrisas of the World Health and from uh, World Health Organization uh, was repeating that nonsense. But, yeah, I mean, look, uh, everything, every, he got everything, everything wrong. Uh, contact tracing, you know, uh, we spent... Praising the WHO dollars. originally, not even curious about how this thing started. It wasn't important. We never got a heads up on what was about to hit us. And was, was giving us bad information. Remember when he said this about masks? There are... Unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying inside there? Of course. You do not need to wear a mask indoors if, in fact, you've been vaccinated. Good that you're vaccinated, but in a situation where you have people indoors, particularly crowded, you should wear a mask. So even if you are vaccinated, you should wear a mask. If, in fact, you are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, you are protected and you do not need to wear a mask outdoors or indoors. 
all over the place. All over the place. And, you know, and, and he was saying uh, for a long time, we need to wear masks. And then when the vaccine came out, he was saying, well, once you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask. Well, it turns out <laughs> that, that you need to be double vaccinated and double boosted, and perhaps you can still get coronavirus, and you still need to wear a mask. So, yeah, it keeps, uh, it's, a moving, it's a moving target. Uh, 81 years old, I think that Dr. Anthony Fauci is probably uh, the oldest person still working in the Biden administration other than President Biden himself. And, and I must say, I, I felt a, a, a thrill go down my leg when he said he was going to retire. And then he backed off immediately because he thought people were too happy about the prospect of him leaving. And he said, no, no, I'm going to stay on until the end of the Biden administration. Yeah, it was uh, incredible, and that made big news. And I'm wondering if, if people are going to uh, like actually own up to the fact that they've been interviewing him, giving him free pass, letting him contradicting himself, and never following up on it. It's just sinful. Lastly, I know you're a China expert, and you talk about how China started this whole thing. What do you think was the objective in the Wuhan lab? And, and once it leaked out, and you saw the massive arrests and the lockups and the shutdowns and lockdowns, do you think there was ever a degree of panic on the Chinese side? Yeah, you know, that's a very interesting story. And we may never know the, the, the whole story from the Chinese side because the Wuhan lab is still locked down. It's still in operation, by the way. And I'm afraid that lurking in that lab in a test tube somewhere is another variant that will be released at the appropriate time. But, but leaving, leaving that aside, the, uh, the, whole, the whole problem with funding the Chinese labs, of course, that was the original pandemic sin. That was where Dr. Anthony Fauci actually took his gain-of-function research overseas when he was told he could no longer do it in American labs. And, and of course, the Wuhan Institute of Virology was happy to do it because it has uh, the interest in developing uh, dual-use technology, technology that can be used for civilian purposes and also for military purposes. And I think they saw in the coronavirus enhancement, gain-of-function enhancement, the chance to develop a weapon. But I think we also were the victim of a psyop. I, I think, you know, when, uh, when the video started coming out showing people dropping dead in the streets of Wuhan, and uh, when, when, when word started coming out of Wuhan that there were massive numbers of death, they were building these hospitals overnight, right, in 10 days. And the rest of the world started worrying that there was going to be a repeat of the Spanish flu with 40 or 50 million deaths. And then China said, we're going to lock down, and the lockdowns have worked. China told the world that lockdowns work, yeah. reduced the number They're of the reduced the number of transmissions tremendously. And Dr. Deborah Birx and Anthony Fauci, who know nothing about China, said, "Oh, the lockdowns work. We're going to have to impose lockdowns here too." And you know the rest of the story. Yeah, and Steve, you are a China expert too. And China now is threatening our speaker. You, uh, speaker Pelosi says you better not go to Taiwan. And there's going to be indicated there might be military answers to that. Should we back off? No, absolutely. I, I think more high-level U.S. officials should go to Taiwan. I think we should be supplying Taiwan with mines to keep an invasion fleet from China at bay. We should be supplying them with uh, the ship to shore-to-ship missiles to keep that invasion fleet, fleet at bay. We don't need to have another uh, Ukraine invasion situation on our hands uh, with regard to China and Taiwan, and we can forestall that. We can prevent that if we simply we simply act now. But the, the last thing, China threatens every time anybody does anything that they don't like, they bluster and bluff and threaten. And and I think we've got to call their bluff. I'm glad that Nancy Pelosi is going to Taiwan. I hope she doesn't back out. It would be terrible. What a disaster. Uh, Steve, congratulations on your book. 
uh, the politically incorrect guide to pandemics is Steve Mosher. Steve, thank you. Thank you. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. When we come back, I'll take your calls and find out if there's indeed more to know. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Everybody picks and chooses. I just think it's funny they're more worried about civil rights in Saudi Arabia, a place 99.9% of people in the United States have never been. I say, you don't worry about civil rights of people here in the United States. But all of a sudden, when guys start taking money, they're like, well, I'm worried about civil rights in Saudi Arabia. Why don't y'all get worried about civil rights here in the United States? Let's worry about that before we worry about what's going on in Saudi Arabia. I don't know if I agree with that uh, ridiculous line of logic. Uh, the main thing is the 9-11 families will be there on Friday protesting. They put a letter. Donald Trump wrote a letter sympathizing, wanted to talk to him about it. They don't really want to hear it. They think Saudi Arabia had something directly to do uh, with 9-11 attacks. This is just emerging now. Uh, more than anything else, it's the live tour by a Saudi wealth fund, but they've also bought Newcastle. There's uh, 46 separate Saudi companies that are investing in the PGA. It just seems like more it's competition with the PGA that people are upset about. For Barkley, David Faraday, the number one personality in golf, has already gone to the Live Tour. And now Barkley says, I want $60 million to go. He's getting paid about, I think, $20 million now from whatever he's doing on TNT. He'd be big, big-time miss. They have the best scoreboard show. Right, let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. So this Ukrainian Olympian has sold his 2,000 silver medal for $15,000 for the World War effort. Ruslan Metiskov put his medal, it earned in the 2,000 games, uh, on the auction block. Uh, ended July 21st, he got $14,438. He's putting it all towards there, 41-year-old Olympian. Everybody is all in. Next, the NFL has got a new streaming platform. Uh, it'll be NFL Plus. It'll allow fans to view out-of-market preseason games on all devices. NFL Network shows on demand, along with the NFL Films Archive, which there's a lot of. NFL Plus will be available at $4.99 to $39.99 a year. I think a lot of people are going to be getting that. Next, Paul Servino dead at 83. Hey, hearts are broken. Good guy by almost all accounts. I met him a couple of times. Couldn't be nicer. Very successful actor. Has been in Warren, Warren Beatty's Reds. Henry Kissinger. In, uh, he played Henry Kissinger in Olive Stone's Nixon. And a mob boss, Eddie Valentine, in The Rocketeer. Good job. Uh, Ken Jennings is going to have to split hosting duties on Jeopardy with Mayim Bilek. Did I say that right? I believe Maya, Mayim. Yeah, Mayim Bilek. They're both geniuses. Next, Russia said it was opt out of being a part of the International Space Station. Good. Get out. Take your uh, take everything you want. They want to build their own space station. Um, do you, good luck trying to get anybody aboard that. They can't build anything on Earth let alone trying to build something their own in space. A failed experiment. Uh, do not change your mind. Promise me you won't. We'll keep the space station. Thank you. By the way, China's building their own, too. Uh, real quick, let me try to add another story in before we hit a break. One in three admits stealing co-workers' food from the office refrigerator is okay. 34% admit they do it. Even more, one in five have resorted to picking a food, picking a food they love out of the trash can. Oh, my God. When presented from the statement, I'll do anything to enjoy my favorite foods, 54% of Americans agreed. 
Some would willingly subject themselves to their worst fears like public speaking, thunder and lightning, and heights, and spiders if it meant free, unlimited access to their favorite food. So what are you, how far would you go to get access to your favorite food? Uh, food doesn't mean that much to me. Mm. I just had a power bar. It's the first thing I've eaten all day. Why did I have a power bar? It's the only thing that Eric put in the studio that allows me to eat. I mean, that's it. It's not like I could have had spaghetti, sushi, or a power bar. I just want to survive. Next, we all scream. Seven in ten Americans have ice cream in the freezer at all times. Half Americans say they're happy to let their kids be big spenders at the neighborhood ice cream truck as well. That's a poll uh, conducted by behalf of Oatly. The and survey. I'm, I'm sure Nancy Pelosi agrees with that. Yeah, also suggests that people eat more ice cream in the summer. Really? I had no idea. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Make sure you go to briankilmeade.com. Find out where to see me live. America. Great from the start. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.